And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. Yes, we are here on G220 Radio. This is episode number 482. 482 episodes. Tonight's episode is titled No Fear in Love. And what we are doing tonight is we are going to pick up where we left off last week. And where we left off last week was at chapter thir- or verse 13 in chapter 4 of, well, First uh, John. Now, Mike is not with me at the moment, um, but he is planning on being with us, maybe just running a little bit late here tonight. So uh, he will jump in whenever he gets here. And so hello to... My wife, who's watching, and um, if you are watching, let us know where you're where you're watching from. Let us know. You can comment either on Facebook or through YouTube, and you can let us know uh, that you're watching. It's a little different when I don't have uh, another host on the program with me because I'm not sure sound and everything like that, and want to try to make sure everything is running properly. So. As I said, we are in episode number 482. This is going to be talking about There's No Fear in Love. That's the title of the, tonight's pro, pro, uh, program. Excuse me. And uh, we're dealing with 1 John chapter 4. Uh, going to go from 13 to the end of the chapter. Now, last week we, we titled the show God is Love. And our goal was to try and get as far as we could go. We only made it to verse 12. And so I would encourage you to go back, listen to this series on 1 John. Uh, They're there on our YouTube channel. They're also there uh, in Podbean, which is where we host our podcast. If you have not subscribed to G220 Radio on Podbean uh, and you prefer to listen to the program rather than watch us, uh, you can do that. You can can listen to it really on any podcast catcher that you may use. If it's Apple, uh, if it's Google, uh, whatever podcast catcher that, that is out there. Uh, You can listen to it that way. iHeartRadio, whatever it is, they're out there. You can find G220 Radio and listen to it on your favorite podcast catcher. But if you like to see us, well, you can watch us here on Facebook Live and on YouTube. And our shows are live every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also want to encourage you, we, we don't believe here at G220 Radio I want to I want to express this. We we don't believe in seeking to ask people for continuous donations here on the program. Everything that we do as a ministry through G220 Ministries and G220 Radio comes out of our own pockets. Now, every once in a while, we do like for a ministry like going down to Kentucky Derby or an evangelistic outreach, uh, we will put it out there and say, "Hey, if anybody wants to donate towards it, we have done that." So we're not opposed to asking for donations. Um, but we don't, we don't specifically like to do that on a regular basis because personally, I believe that if you are in ministry and if it's quote unquote, uh, a parachurch ministry, that should be coming from your local church. If you are a missionary, so to speak, an evangelist that is continuously evangelizing out on the streets, um, personally, this is my, my perspective on this, that I think that if you are doing those things in a consistent, regular basis, then it should be your church that is providing for you. And then maybe even as a missionary that are picking up support through other sister churches as they're being 
sent to them to give out and um, to kind of let people know about that ministry and those churches can decide whether or not to participate with that ministry. Because I do believe that God works through his local church. We believe that strongly here at G220 Radio. That being said, again, we are not opposed to donations. We've created some t-shirts that you can go and basically get a shirt uh, from G220 Ministries. You can go to g220ministries.com. You can find them there. Uh, But you can get a shirt on Bonfire or on Teesprings. We have some, some shirts up there. And we also have Buy Me a Coffee, where if you'd like to just donate a one-time gift to G220 Radio. And, and again, much of what would come in would go towards, again, the ministry and the radio show if we needed equipment and whatnot for the radio show and for the ministry aspect for doing evangelism. It's not something we like to ask often because, again, we believe that uh, if it be the Lord's will, He will provide those things. And again, He has because we usually pay for these things out of our pocket. All right. A lot of that there, trying to get some things out there to give some time for Mike to jump in uh, when he can, but uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the passage of scripture that we have before us here today in first John chapter four. Now I'm going to go ahead and read the entire chapter for some context. And then again, we're going to be picking up in verse 13 down to the end and we'll see where we get from there. So in first John chapter four, starting at verse one, Uh, Let me read from the ESV. I've got the King James in front of me here. Not that I dislike the King James, but. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, 
God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him, or God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in him, and God abides in him. By this is love, or sorry, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also we are, we in, we are, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so as we are reading there the word of the Lord in 1 John chapter 4, uh, as we came down to verse 12, it's kind of like this connecting passage anyways, which connects us from uh, verses 7 on and then connecting us over to, again, verse 13 and down. And so what we see here is when it says in verse 12, which is kind of where we stopped last week, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. So, God's essence is invisible. No, no one has ever seen God. We kind of talked about this uh, at the end of the program last week that when Moses requested to see God, he wanted to see the glory of God. All he was able to see was the backside of God as, as God was passing over. And he had to hide him in the cleft of the rock because no one can see God and live. You, you, you can't be in the presence of the, of the holy God and see him in all of his glory and live. That's what makes it such a, a beautiful thing to, to recognize and to understand that this God who is spirit, who man cannot put his eyes upon, came to us in the form of, of flesh, dwelling among us, tabernacling among us in the person and work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we could behold Christ. Um, what 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 a what a what a what a thing to think upon and meditate upon um, as we consider that that no one's ever seen God, right? But we see the love of God that is demonstrated by sending His Son, and we see the person and work of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Now, if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So, again, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks, and as we've been in this chapter, John uses this abide. We see this quite often. We see this even in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So this love that we have for one another is only because of our abiding in Christ. Because again, as it says in John 15, Apart from him, we can do nothing. There's nothing we can do apart from Christ. There's nothing we can do. 
And so now as we connect over from verse 12 there into verse 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Now again, as I said, we can do nothing apart from Christ. And so the, the, the way that we know, one of the fruits, one of the evidences that we can be assured that we are in Christ, because the Gospel of John gives us this uh, great understanding of, of Christ being the Son of God and, and how we can know Him and have the salvation through Him, and then so that we may know Him. And then in 1 John, He gives us this opportunity, these tests, these evidences that if we see these things in our life, we can know that the Spirit dwells in us because we can know that we know Him. We have these assurances that Christ is abiding in us. And one of those things here is uh, this um, fact that He has given us a Spirit to abide in us. And that's something that we have to understand, recognize that apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit of God indwelling us, there would be, as we talked about last week, you could have love for a neighbor. You could have love for a family member. Uh, and many people do in this world. But genuine love that is selfless, what we talked about last week, that is not seeking for your own gain or your own, uh, what's the word that would best fit this? You're, you're not seeking for your own benefit but genuinely loving another person. And this isn't always easy. Even as Christians, we struggle uh, with sin at times. We, we don't believe in sinless perfectionists here. We, we kind of dealt with that already in this book. Uh, there's no sinless perfection. There are times where we are in our flesh um, weak. There are times that when we are in our flesh, we don't love our neighbor as we should. And our neighbor oftentimes is those within our own home. I'm sure we all, if we're honest, fail at that at times. Maybe not loving our wives the way that we know we should. Uh, maybe not loving our children the way that we know we should in, in the fact that we discipline them maybe too harshly, uh, ground them for longer or, or, or something that really doesn't fit the, the crime, so to speak, uh, the sin that they have committed. And so we know that sometimes we are weak in that, but the evidence, one of the evidences that we know that Christ's spirit is abiding in us is that one, the spirit will convict you of your sin. And when the spirit convicts you of your sin, as we've already also seen in this book of first John, if you confess it, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's going to forgive you and he'll cleanse you of all that unrighteousness. So that's one of the evidences of knowing that he abides in you is because he's given his spirit. And with the spirit, you have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, that's not to say that at times we won't sin and fall short. I think, again, if we're honest, we probably do that more often than not. But that should not be the pattern of our life. There should be love. There should be joy. There should be peace. And, and, and there should be patience with one another. And that can be difficult at times. Just being honest, it can be difficult. But if the Spirit is abiding in you, then the Spirit convicts you when you give in to the flesh and 
don't operate in those ways in a manner of speaking of love. So it says in verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, this is very important for us to get this. Now, we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, John, the apostle, and the other apostles have seen Christ. They they did ministry with Christ for the three years that he walked with them before he went to the cross. They seen these things. They could testify to these things. Paul even writes that there are still some who, who, who were there that you can go and verify these things. This is not some blind faith where there's no witnesses, as, as an atheist would try to have you believe that if Oh, if you believe that Bible, there was no historical evidence. There was no uh, eyewitnesses. This is just made up by people. No, we get it. We get this even from from the Word of God itself. That if you go to court, if you committed a crime, you need two or three witnesses to to testify that you've done these things that you're being accused of doing. And when you have two or three witnesses. That, that are all saying this, the, the same thing, that you've done this crime, then you're most likely convicted of that, unless it's an unjust judge, an unjust jury, whatever, you're going to be convicted. So we will take the testi- testimonies of witnesses in those senses, or even throughout history, we will take the testimony of those who were eyewitnesses to certain accounts, and we will hold them up as true. But when it comes to the Word of God, atheists and those who are against the Bible, maybe they have their own religious practices that are against Christianity, will say, well, that's just a book written by men. There were no eyewitnesses, but the Bible says there was many eyewitnesses. And these apostles, including John here, are testifying to these things. And this is what what it is. These gospel accounts are testifying to the life of Christ. Now, obviously, they did not capture everything within these gospels that they wrote and then the epistles written afterwards as well. But they are testifying to the fact that they have seen and walked with God in the flesh, and they have seen him be crucified and was buried and rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death, being proving to be exactly who he claimed to be. So there is witnesses. This is not a blind faith. This is a faith based upon real, verifiable eyewitnesses who can give account to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, it says the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And we kind of talked about this also last week, about the world. Um. And in the context of speaking of the world, the world, the, the word world, word world, can be used in different ways based upon the context. I, I, I believe, actually, even if you go to G220 Ministries, go under the blogs, I'm pretty sure uh, it's still up there that I've written a article on the usage of the word world in the different context as it is being laid out. 
And so when this says he is the savior of the world, it is speaking of the, that the fact that, because we do believe, again, you have to reconcile what the scriptures say, that Christ died for the church. Christ died for his sheep. Christ died for his people. To save his people from their sins, he would be called Jesus. And so Christ died for his people. He died for the elect. And so when this, even when you go back to verse 10, when it talks about he is the propitiation for our sins, propitiation means he appeased the wrath of God. So he is the, the savior of the world in the sense that he is saving all of his elect, those that he is the propitiation for, appeasing the wrath of God, that they might be redeemed and brought back into the fold. Now, it's interesting also because John only uses Savior twice. He uses it here, and he also uses it in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4, where he speaks to the woman at the well. Christ is speaking to the woman at the well. He tells her all the things she's ever done, and she runs off and goes and starts to tell everybody else, come and see, come and see, is this the Messiah? And people come and they hear Christ and they say to her that, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so uh, bear with me, but they say to her that we no longer believe because of your testimony, but now because of what we're hearing from, from Christ, we believe he is the Savior. And so this is this is the only two times that John, the Apostle John, uses the term Savior here in 1 John chapter 4 and in John 4 with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. All right, so now let's see here. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Now, I was kind of getting a jump on it earlier in, in the, the verse before, but this is what I was trying to refer to as very important for us to understand this, because whoever confesses that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, if you go back to this chapter, verse 2, it says that by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So John here in the same chapter, he starts it out and he gets to, to verse 2 here. And he says that everyone that confessed that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. All right. It's confessing the humanity of Christ. He really did come in the flesh. He really is fully man. He, he, he's fully man. And now in verse 15, John is stating before us, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's confessing back here in the beginning of this chapter you must confess that Christ is man, that he has come in the flesh. He's fully human. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is God. 
He is the Son of God, which equates to him, not, not in the same sense of being children of God that we are adopted into the family and the fold of God, but he is the begotten, the only begotten Son of God. He is equal to the Father. He is, let me see here, Mike is going to be with us shortly, I'm trying to keep an eye on these things and keep going at the same time. Uh, but Mike said he should be with us shortly, um, which would be good because I'm kind of moving quickly here. <laughs> it's good when you have uh, another person kind of interacting with you to kind of bounce off of one another and uh, basically uh, even hear what Mike has to say and 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 share uh, and, and his input and insight into uh, the Word of God as well. And so... He's confessing here, saying that we must confess that and testify, or yeah, where am I at here? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So not only are you confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and by doing so, you're showing that you are from God, but you're also confessing that Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God. And if you do confess that he is the Son of God, Christ is, God is abiding in you. Okay, now I want to make this very, very clear because we see this so often in, in those who profess to be Christians. We see it very often, those who profess to be Christians. They can make this confession that they'll say, oh, Jesus is Lord. Now, the Bible says that no one can do that apart from the Spirit. So what does that mean? to say that Jesus is Lord, to say that Jesus is Adonai, to say that Christ is God in the flesh— what does it mean to to state those things apart from the Spirit? Because apart from the Spirit, you can't truly truly say those things and mean those things. It's not a it's not an acknowledgement from your your word. Because even Christ says, "You honor me with your lips, but your hearts, your hearts." Right. So when this is being stated and this is being um, confessed. It's not a mere profession because we all can state and recognize that there are many people who will profess to be believers, who will profess that they follow Christ. They don't bear the fruit in keeping with repentance. They don't bear the fruit of love for their brethren and love, fruit of Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're not bearing the fruits, the evidences of their genuine faith, if they had, or of the faith, if it was genuine. Let's put it like that. So he's saying, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So again, we see Christ being acknowledged of confessing in his, in his humanity and here confessing in his divinity. So verse 16, moving on. Hopefully Mike will jump in here at some point because he said he had a lot to say about verse 16. So let's see here. <clears throat> so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, so... So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I mean, when you consider, and we, we, we talked about this last week, but when you consider the greatest demonstration of God's love, it's Christ on the cross. Laying down his life for sinners. I mean, when you, when you think about this demonstration of God's love, that he demonstrates it, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us, I mean, that there is no greater demonstration of love in this world than what we see that the, the, the triune God of the world displays in the Father sending His Son to die on the cross, and the Son laying down His life to redeem a people of which the Father has given Him. There's no greater demonstration of, of, of love. I'm even wearing love on my shirt. Love never fails. Got that at the Derby, thanks to Tristan. Um, and so, man, we can know and we can believe the love of God has for us because if the spirit is in you, God is abiding in you. You can have these assurances. You can have these evidences that you are loved by God. I, I don't like to say this often on the streets when engaging with people. I, I don't like to say it because, number one, I want to be very careful uh, in how I proclaim the gospel to someone. I don't always do it perfectly. I'm, I'm, I'm not always the best with words or the most eloquent speaker uh, when I'm out sharing the gospel or having a conversation with someone. But the point is, I, I try to be very careful in how I express God's love to them. Because we talked about um, a little bit of this last week, the, the common grace of God that he displays upon all people. So in a sense, there's a love of God because God is love, uh, a common grace I, I like to say better than, than, than love, but that he displays upon all people, unbelievers. And there is a love, this everlasting love, this eternal love that God has for his elect. Those who believe in Christ, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And so I like to be very careful in expressing to people that they're loved by God. Because again, we do a lot of ministry at abortion centers, you know, uh, where 
there are parents there going in to murder their child. And so there are Catholics that are usually out there with us and, and sometimes other people who will say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. And we've seen it. They look and say, well, good. Then he'll forgive me for what I'm going to do. And it's not always stated that same way every time, but that's pretty much the sentiment from a great majority of these women that are going in there. And so I like to be very careful in how I display that. Because for an individual on the streets that you're sharing the gospel with, God, they may be one of God's elect, and God will give this eternal or has this eternal love for them. But again, I want to be very careful in how I am explaining those things because I don't want to give someone a false sense of assurance because when someone thinks about God is love, what we talked about last week, they, they, they twist that from God is love to love is God. And so when you tell someone that God loves you, just like these women that will go into the abortion center and murder their child, many people will take that as this banner to run around with and state that, well, God is love. God loves me. And so he's got a wonderful plan for my life. And, you know, he loves me. He's not going to send me to hell regardless of what I, I do. And, and, and that kind of teaching is out there. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. But I don't want to give someone this false sense of assurance because the devil will seek to, de to deceive many people. But for us who are in Christ, it is an evidence that we can be assured of. It is a, a, something that we can acknowledge and know that if we are abiding in Christ, that He, God, loves us. And that love is eternal. And I don't mean to sound like a broken record speaking over and over on this, but it's... it's I don't know really how we could ever truly comprehend how wonderful and marvelous the love of God is for his people. And so, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We've talked about that. We talked about that last week. Talked about that a little bit here or a lot here um, today. And whoever abides in love abides in God. Again, this is a reiterating that by this we, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us a spirit. So whoever abides in love abides in God. Because of the spirit of God that abides within you, that he has given to you, you will love. You will have a love for God and a love for your neighbor. Mainly those within the body of Christ and even extending out to the enemies of God, those who are unbelievers. I don't think a, a Christian's life is one that look, looks like someone who is always hateful or has hatred in his heart for 
ultimately a brother, because the Bible tells us that here in First John, we, one of the tests, you know, if you if you hate your brother, you're a liar when you say you know God, you love God, because the truth's not in you. And so the spirit that is indwelling within you by being in Christ, abiding in Christ, walking with the Lord, you're going to have love for God and for neighbor. It says, and God abides in him. So if you whoever, whoever abides in love, whoever is abides in love abides in God, and God abides in you. Now verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So by this, obviously, it's like when someone writes, therefore, we're referring back to the the previous verse, verse 16, which says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, what we just read, is love perfected with us. So is love perfected with us. And perfected here is meaning maturity. Okay? Let me look down my notes. Yeah, love has been fulfilled in us. God's love in Christ makes people like Christ. Uh, We have this maturity. Often when we see that uh, be perfect as God is perfect, we are to be mature in the faith. We are to be mature in our walk with, with the Lord. And so it says that by this is love perfected with us. It's perfected with us. And we've talked before on, on, on the show about we believe we're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, by the grace of God. And we know this by the scriptures alone. We believe in the solas. We believe in, or we adhere to the 1689. And so we believe these truths. And yet, by this love is perfected in us. It is God who is working in us, bringing about the fruit and the works by which God has told us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself, but you are his workmanships, prepared beforehand to walk in these good works, in these good fruit. And so that love is one of these fruits that is displayed in the life of a believer. And we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And that is a wonderful, it's a wonderful, acknowledgement for the believer. It's, it's a wonderful assurance for the believer to know that they have confidence for the day of judgment. You know, I've, I've talked with chaplains. I've talked with 
other ministers who have gone in and spoken with elderly individuals, or even maybe not elderly, but those who are close to the end of their life, close to taking their final breath in life. And chaplains have told me, uh, other ministers have told me in those conversations that they've had with me about some of these encounters and some of these um, situations and where they find themselves, you know, ministering to those who are about to pass on. That those who are in Christ have a different outlook, a different response to coming to the end of their life, to taking their final breath, as opposed to those who do not know Christ. And so when I read this and I think about, we may have confidence for the day of judgment, knowing that those who are in Christ who have been perfected, this love has been perfected within them. They have the Spirit abiding within them. They, they believe in Christ. They've put their faith and trust in Christ. Those individuals, they have confidence when they're reaching the very end of their life that when they stand before Christ, there's not going to be judgment upon them, an eternal judgment upon them. Because they have that confidence. Mike, welcome. Glad to have you. Hey, glad to be on. Sorry about that. We had some guests over and I underestimated how much time they would stay. But they're brothers in the, and sisters in the Lord, so. Hey, I get it. That's cool. Um, we're at verse 17 here. I'm speaking on uh, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. And so that's where I'm at. I know you didn't get to speak on some of this other chapter. So if there's any, you know what, we'll, we'll just, let's finish let's out go. this, this first let's and go. then, and then we'll, anything you wanted to add, we'll try to fit that in. So it says, uh, confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Mike, I'll let you go ahead and jump in because I've been talking a lot. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> just trying to pick up. I think kind of noticing in this um, that this idea he's been kind of stressing over about his love perfecting in us and with it. And I think it's because we become like him. We see the work of sanctification in our life. So by this love perfected with us, we can have confidence because we have the same love as God does. We are mimicking God's own nature of love. And so to think about it in that way, that. Yes, sanctification is, you know, dying to our sins and, and becoming more, but even more so, we're becoming more like Jesus. And Jesus loved perfectly while he was here on earth. And so to, to consider, you know, this thinking about this John's admiration, John admonishing us to love others 
continues in that. We continue to grow because that's who he is. And that's how we, you know, in one sense can become in this world. Yeah. 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 The Bible says that, uh, you know, um, the more and more that we grow in our sanctification, the more, as Mike's saying there, we become like Christ. And again, this is what God, like the apostle John is just continuing to reiterate these things over and over abiding in Christ. If you abide in Christ, he abides in you. You're going to have this love for, for God, for the, for the brethren. Uh, you, this love is in you and you, and you can know these things. Um, and so there's this huge emphasis on the love of God, continuous emphasis on the fact that that same love as Mike was saying, I don't know if you guys can hear that ding. Did you hear it ding? No. Okay. I keep hearing these, these alerts or whatever come through. Sorry. But you have this love of God being over, like continuously emphasized. This is, John's making a point. This is very important for us to grasp because he continuously repeats it. Abide in him. If you abide in him, he abides in you. You have this love, same love that he has, and you're being perfected in it. You have this confidence. So this is John just completely letting it out there. You know, God is love. And again, we've talked about that here on this show, and we talked about it last week. Not in this twisted way that the world looks at it, but rightly understanding what it means that God is love. And so as we go into the next verse here in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, now Mike, I know we've talked about this before, that this fear, when we was doing our, our shows on Proverbs, that there yep. is a right fear of God that we should have. Yep. Like, we're not going up and saying, hey, give me a high five, you're my buddy, or a lot of these Christian songs, like Jesus is my boyfriend, kind of. There should be a fear of God. Um, but that fear of God also leads us to a reverence of God, a, a love for God. Uh, and so maybe speak on that as well. Yeah. So I think we should understand fear here in connection with verse 17. And that's fear that's coming of the judgment. And to understand so that there's no fear in love, that God's love in, in a way we should not fear the day of judgment. We shouldn't fear receiving the consequences of our sins. And that knowing God is perfect love drives those fears away. If we abide in his love, because we are being shaped by him, that his spirit is in us and we abide in him. He abides in us. And to, to look at it in that way. So to understand fear here, I think is to understand the punishments that we do deserve on the day of judgment and to look at it, which is a different fear of kind of the holy reverence would be the, the fear we've described kind of in what you think of Proverbs one seven for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what's fear there? It's not fear of judgment or punishment or consequences for my sin. It's this holy reverence feel, the feel that you have when you meet someone important, if someone of great kind of even earthly kind of importance 
government officials, kings, queens, you know, in those kind of situations. There should be some sort of fear that goes with it. And that's the type of fear we see in Proverbs. So, but here, you know, it's kind of John's way of saying, you know, there's now no condemnation in us. There's, there's no reason to fear God's judgment on us, which to take the opposite should fear those who don't love the brothers who don't love God or God's love isn't abiding in them. They should have a fear of what's coming in and knowing that God loves his people and that the one who begins a good work in us will see it be completed. We should see God's love in that way, which casts out our fear. And then, you know, he makes the point, the fear has to do with judgment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we, you know, kind of living in that, we all know that tension, that kind of, the tension of judgment of, am I really saved? When we kind of realize this pattern of sin and we really start seeing it, I think we see how we should have a fear of judgment. It's probably a good thing to correct us and to see the, the, the awfulness of our sin. But when we have love, when we love God, when we're working on these things, there, there's no reason to fear because we've been washed by the blood. We've been saved by him. We have an advocate for us. We can go to him knowing we need sin. We can find grace and mercy. And so this idea of his love and fear kind of connects in a way that, you know, helps us to be focused on what we're called to do, not fearing the judgment, but doing the things of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. So verse 19 here says, we love because he first loved us. And again, that that is just more of this assurance that we have as believers to really be able to recognize that we're loved by God. You know, it's not because we, we decide to, to love him that he pours upon his love. It's not this reactory, react, reaction kind of love. You're loving me, so now I'm giving back this love to you. That's on our part because he loved us while we had nothing to offer, while we weren't deserving of his love. Because of his love for us, because of the grace that God gives to us, we then love God. And so, again, that's one of these assurances, one of these evidences, our love for God. That's why it, it, it bothers me when I talk to other professing Christians. And, and sometimes I think it's, because it's, even when you go back to this, this previous verse where it says, um, whoever fears has not been perfected in love, they've not be, been matured in, in that understanding or, or maturity in it. And so I don't, I want to be gracious to people that I do believe are genuine believers. But when they say like, you know, I, I don't really want to 
dig really deep in into the scriptures. I mean, because you know, God is love and God died for me. I want to kind of leave it there. And and it kind of bothers me at times because I'm like, do you understand that God loved us? He gave his son for us, and you're not, you don't really desire or have these desires to want to get to know him more. And the only way to get to know him more is not from some special revelation that you're receiving apart from the word of God, because that's the only special revelation we got is right here. Yep. And so you're not getting it from somewhere else. Would you not desire that? You know, I mean, my wife had this conversation sometimes where, you know, um, to use an example, people wouldn't do that with their, their, their marriages. You wouldn't say, Hey, I love you. Let's get married to, to your wife. And then say, but I really don't want to get to know you. I know you love me. You, you kind of, you, you've, you made that commitment, but I don't really want to get to know your likes and your dislikes and you know, where you'd like to go, what you like to eat. I don't, I don't really want to dig that deep. Uh-huh. You know, I just kind of, I, I kind of went on a little rant there. Sorry, but it just kind of, when you recognize that God loves you and he died for you, and then you love God, you naturally love God because he first loved us. There should be that desire to want to get to know him more. Yeah. And that desire, you know, to kind of think through it is because we see what he's done for us. I mean, consider Romans 5 8. God shows his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, his love is on display so much to raise us as enemies of God, to make us his friends, and not only his friends, joint heirs with Christ, part of the family. And to just to think about God's love and his mercy should propel us to learn even more. And, you know, that's a, a thing. But I think it shows that here in this cause and effect language, the cause is he's showed his love for us. And so then the effect is that we want to display that love. And I think there's no better parable as kind of working, thinking through this is of the ungrateful servant whose debt is forgiven. He has shown great love by his master and yet turns around and demands so demands the payment of a fellow save of slave of so little worth compared to what he's just been forgiven. We, I think that parable just displays just how great God's love is for us. I and think it that, perfectly goes into the next verse as well. Yeah. And just to, to think about the unending depths of God's love, what he had to do, what he did do in order to save us. And he didn't have to. That's the whole thing. God didn't have to save us. But to show his mercy, to show us grace, which are attributes of who he is, he does. And that should just propel us to think 
just deeply about God, to consider theology and to to look at it and to think about these things, which lead to even deeper praise and um, admiring, and to think about that. And to think about God helps us to think about who we are called to be. Again, this all stems from God's first acting and his first love towards us because he loves his world. Yeah. <clears throat> and like you were saying with the parable of the slave who receives this great forgiveness of his debt, but then goes in verse 20 here, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So th this is a, another evidence or, or assurance of a genuine believer's faith is, and John is already, he's continuously been stating this, you're going to have love for one another. Uh -huh. You're going to have love for your brother. And if you can't love your brother who you can see, how, how do you love God who you can't see? Right. And, and, and I, I want to make it clear, too, here, brother, now we should love our enemies, but brother in the context here, John's talking about the brethren, those within the body, okay? Because the world thinks that Christians are, are to display their love for the unbeliever in the same sense that they display the love for a believer. And now, again, I do believe we should love our enemies. We should love those who are at enmity with God, those who are unbelievers. We're not to hate them. But if my fellow believer has a need and an unbeliever has a need and I'm able to meet the, one of those needs, I'm going to meet the need of my brother. Right. That, and that's, so I, I just, I want to express that out there because the world, I, I know some things will be like, somebody say, well, your natural brother, this is referring to the body of believers, uh -huh. the church. Yeah. And you, you see, you get the, the the force of the argument it's a lesser to greater argument a fancy term there for you and you know the idea that you can't love the one next to you whom god has saved who god has shown his love to how are you going to love the one who gives such great gifts like that the one who does save sinners um my pastor taught on um luke 15 in the parable of the the two sons you know the one goes away far away country he pretty much asked his dad that he he's as good as dead to him once his inheritance he goes and squanders it comes back you know, has a great feast the father's we see the father's love for him but you have this other brother who stayed in the house who, as my pastor point out, seems like he feels like he's a slave and not a son. Kind of how he speaks. I've served you all these years. I've done what you've told me. That language. But he hates his brother. His brother, as, as the father says, was lost and has been found but he hates his brother because he thinks he's entitled to 
something. And this is really a pointed parable towards the Pharisees. Because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and they hate him. They hate his ministries. So we can even look at this is that in one sense, those who are pharisaical are, is kind of how we use that, is this idea. They don't like it when God shows grace to other people. And they, they have this. And, and that makes it even pointed because since God has loved those people, to say that you love God and you hate your own brothers is a contradiction because you're hating whom God has loved. Yeah. And we should be just very wary when we hate things that God has shown his love on. Yeah. And, and this is why I think it's very important as believers to be gracious and to be patient with someone who doesn't necessarily fully grasp maybe every aspect of theology or maybe even even today, you know, in the conversation that, you know, you've seen, but uh, with another individual who's who's been a faithful preacher for a very long time. But sometimes people will say things in such a way or even within our own context of our own church, maybe you've got a new believer that that explains something and maybe they're they're in error or maybe they're just not explaining what they believe rightly. We can demonstrate that love for them mm-hmm. by one being patient with them, being gracious with them, seeking to understand better what it is they are stating. And if it is error, then graciously and lovingly pre- presenting the truth to them. Right? Not as soon as they say something unbiblical, you're a heretic. You, you're a fault. Let me share the gospel with you because you're not saved. I mean, that's demonstrating that love for our brethren because not everybody is, you know, when, when you come to faith, whether you've been in the faith for 20 years or you're a brand new believer, you're on the same platform. There's no, you're not elevated up here or down here in, in the eyes of God. But there is a sanctification process where someone may be more mature in the faith who's been walking with the Lord for a longer period of time and may understand theology where a new believer is just getting into it and learning. So you patiently come alongside a brother and or sister and you try to walk with them to, to instruct them and to lead them into more truth. Because if the Spirit is indwelling in you and the same Spirit is indwelling in them, you know, it's not this one to just quickly, you know, jump all over them and and Christ tells us that even in what we're seeing here, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. And then verse 21, to close out this chapter, it says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What is the greatest commandment? The man comes up to Christ and says, good, good teacher, good master, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, it's basically gives the 10 commandments, but he sums it all down in love God and love your neighbor. Uh-huh. And this which is what John quotes, is reiterating. Yeah, which he quotes from the Old Testament. So it's not yeah. like right. these commandments are like he's summarizing. He's literally quoting, I think it's Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
I may have those mixed up um, with that. And I think that's important to think about just even in the law and to consider how God wanted Israel to live in contrast to the pagan nations around them built in their code of law were laws that loved their brothers, their neighbors, not gleaming all the way to the end of your field was an act of love. It was kind of, for lack of better terms, kind of the welfare of it. And God had it, but there's a sense of which you didn't do it so that people who maybe couldn't eat could come and gather grain so they would have a provision. Travelers going through. Then these are the reasons given. We should consider that God has always valued loving others. And that is not mutually exclusive. I think that's why you see the 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 two tablet language. The first kind of four um, of the Ten Commandments deal um, vertically between us and God and how we worship God and how we honor God. And five through ten is how we honor God by honoring those around us, by not murdering, not committing adultery, not lying, honor our mothers and fathers. All of these commands fit in that way. And Jesus didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. He showed us what it means to honor our mothers and our fathers, to honor not murdering people. And as you know, the Old Testament talks about it and Jesus explicitly says it, not hating others, not having this hatred towards others because that's not who God is. And as Christians, we are, we've been saved by God to reflect God. Now we should be doing this in ways because we're in the image of God. We should be reflecting God's glory, but we know sin has marred this. So Christ, so as Christians, we're the recreation of what we were called to be when he created us mm-hmm. in Genesis 1. And to think about who he is. So when Jesus tells his disciples to love one another, this is the heart of God. And God's own love, not only for himself as triune, but also his love for the creation in which he has created and endowed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that is pretty much the end of chapter four here in first John. And uh, we still have chapter five to go. And then we will be wrapping up uh, the series that we've done on first John, second John, third John, um, and we can finally say we've completed a series. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, okay. Because we're not doing John next week. Well, oh yeah, so... Possibly. Possibly. Um, but yeah, it'll be nice to, to get this series completed and wrapped up. I think this has been a good series that we've gone through. 
uh, really help us to reflect upon and hopefully the listeners uh, to reflect upon what the apostle is laying out here in this epistle. And um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, that's g220radio at gmail.com. And we will get back to you in a orderly manner. I mean, as soon as we can, uh, we will get back to you. If you comment on our YouTube or Facebook live, you know, stream comment section, whatever, uh, we will do our best also there to uh, engage with you uh, as time permits. And Ken says, can he find the rest of the series? Yes, you can go to our YouTube page um, and that should have, I think, it should have our whole series on First John up there. If it doesn't, we'll have to go ahead and add some of those. I know that since we've been using Melon, it doesn't allow me to put them in a playlist, so I have to go back and do that. But I think, did we make a playlist for? I think you did. I think we, we may have made a playlist for this series, so you can go back and listen to those, and then, um, yeah, we'll get these other newer ones in there. I like this platform, Melon. If anybody's considering using a platform, I know there is, uh, what's the other one? StreamYard out there. And uh, this one is called Melon. Uh, I think it's a pretty pretty nice platform. Um, and it's what we've been using now for the last uh, couple, uh, yeah. over a month, actually. Yeah, I just said the third payment go through, I think. So it's been almost two months. Two months, yeah. So that's been G220 Radio's uh, program here for tonight. Again, we will be back next week, either with First John Chapter 5 or well, we may be doing something different. We'll see. Uh-oh. Stirring up controversy. Controversy gets clicks, but we don't it want does. that. Kind of, we don't want those kind of clicks. Depends if it's a important controversy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would do shows all day about you know arianism you know there's important controversies to to talk about yeah and ken love you brother glad to uh be helpful in in this area hope it will be a blessing to you uh pray for you continue to get out there and evangelize he's a good brother in the lord has his own program on monday nights i believe at eight eight o'clock i believe uh you can go to ken heisel and uh, check out his his uh, his Facebook live show. But uh, yeah, that's been our program for tonight. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, that's been G220 Radio. <laughs>